Ezekiel 44. Let's turn there, please. <coughs> Excuse me. Ezekiel 44. And uh, I'd like to read beginning at verse 4 down through verse 9 as we begin. Our second study in chapter 44. Ezekiel now says, Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. And the Lord said unto me, Son of man, mark well, and behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears all that I say unto thee concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all the laws thereof. And mark well the entering in of the house with every going forth of the sanctuary. An amazing verse, verse 5, we'll go on in just a second. An amazing verse because as we're speaking of of a messianic temple where the Messiah will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth in Jerusalem. It, it, it's very clear that the Lord is saying, my law is eternal. We oftentimes think that we come to the Lord by the grace of God, and certainly we do, and we're thankful for it. But we never see where the law has been destroyed. Even Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the law is always a reminder of the holiness and righteousness of God. And even we who are saved by the mercy and the grace and the truth and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand how that is a, a true foundation of, of our Christian faith. And he goes on and says, And thou shalt say to the rebellious, now God is saying to Ezekiel, this is what you say, to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, O ye house of Israel, let it suffice you of all your abominations, in that you have brought into my sanctuary strangers, uncircumcised in heart, and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to pollute it. Even my house, when you offer my bread, the fat and the blood, and they have broken my covenant because of all your abominations. And you have not kept the charge of my holy things, but you have set keepers of my charge in my sanctuary for yourselves. Thus saith the Lord God, no stranger, uncircumcised in heart nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. In our first study of chapter 44, which dealt with the first four verses primarily, we focused our attention on the right way and the wrong way of worshiping and approaching God while establishing an understanding of the restrictions that will govern worship in the Messianic Temple during the Millennial Kingdom. Now the first three verses 
covered the restrictions that will govern the East Gate. And we talked about that last time. Primarily the reason for these restrictions is simply the presence of the glory of God. Because the glory of God is now back in the temple. There is a need to restrict who comes close. And worshipers need to react, as the prophet Ezekiel did, to God's holiness. We see it there in verse 4. Then brought he uh, me the way of the north gate before the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And what did he do? He said, I fell upon my face. He fell face down to the ground and humbled himself before the Lord's presence. There is no other way to approach God. This holy God that we love and serve and know that he loves us. The Lord then goes on to tell the prophet to speak to the rebellious house and say, in effect, that's enough of your detestable practices. Now, something that we need to understand here. We're talking about the Messianic temple, yes. But remember who he's speaking to. He's still speaking to the exiles who were sent into captivity because of their rebelliousness, because of their disobedience to the word of God. So he says, that's enough of your detestable practices, O house of Israel. So he's speaking presently. Of course, the Messianic temple will have none of this. But those rebellious people were, in fact, standing in front of Ezekiel as he's receiving the vision and and the rebuke. And we know this from earlier statements such as Ezekiel 2, verses 3 through 5. If you want to go all the way back there, I think it's important that you do. Because even early on in the second chapter of the book of Ezekiel, that God speaks to the prophet and says unto him, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children, which means they're they're bold, they're brazen, they're sassy, (laughs) and stiff-hearted, hard-hearted, I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And, and they, whether they hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there has been a prophet among them. They'll know that there's a prophet among them. You must go and say, Thus saith the Lord. So that was, a, that was an exhortation to the prophet to tell them what they needed to hear. And by the way, the Lord will call them a rebellious house nine more times in this very prophecy. Nine more times in the book of Ezekiel, he calls them a rebellious house. And so what the Lord was demanding to those before the prophet was holiness from his people and a turning from the practice of allowing uncircumcised foreigners into the temple because that was just happening way too much. And now something must have clicked in their minds and hearts because upon their return to Jerusalem from from Babylonian captivity, uh, 
the people and their leaders stressed this prohibition. The people and their leaders did what God said for a time, for a time. Turn to Ezra chapter 4, the book of Ezra, just a few books before the book of, uh, the book of Psalms. Uh, but Ezra, verse, uh, uh, should say chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. In speaking of the return from exile back to the land, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. It says in verse 1, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Now remember, these are the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. These are the enemies of Judah and Benjamin. When they heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, which means that they went back and did as best as they could to put brick upon brick and stone upon stone to rebuild the temple of God, the temple that had been of Solomon. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of their fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you. Notice these are the adversaries. Let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do. You think that's true? <laughs> For we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of this Esarhaddon, king of Ashur. Wow, that, the, <laughs> that, that bunch didn't really do all of that, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Yeshua, or Yeshua, and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. Did they heed the words of Ezekiel? Did they, heed, did, did they heed the words of God through Ezekiel? He says, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. A number of years later, when the the other part of the captivity came back with Nehemiah. We're told in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I know this is a considerable passage, but I think it's important to read the whole passage here. Verse 1 says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Ammonite, Moabite. And the reason is, in verse 2, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. So all the mixed multitude that had come that were not of Israel, they separated them from Israel. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. Now remember, he's a priest, and he has oversight over the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Now if you read earlier on in the book of Nehemiah, you find out that Tobiah was an Ammonite. And he had prepared for him a great chamber. A chamber in 
the house of our God for an Ammonite. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings. I mean, these are the things that are supposed to be sacred unto the Lord. They're supposed to be set apart, sanctified unto the Lord God. And here he has a place where they have the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, the oil, uh, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was saying, I was called away. For in the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. And Nehemiah really cared to do everything that God wanted them to do. He wanted to do everything right. But he steps away and then all of this starts taking place. <clears throat> and he's grieved and he comes back and therefore he says, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. I mean, he went in and he just threw it out of the house. And then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with a meat offering and the frankincense. Serious things. And they did not heed the word of God. They didn't heed the commandments of the Lord. And how many people today are just saying, you know, well, I, you know, this, this part of scripture is okay, this other one, you know, well, we, you know, we could kind of mess around with it or whatever. No, no, no. God's word is always true, isn't it? God's word never fails, ne 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 never fades away, never goes away. It remains, especially when it comes to the aspect of worship. And what's interesting is that the restrictions even lasted until the time of Paul. Now, you take what happened there, uh, between there and uh, the time of, of Paul, what, what, is, what has taken place? Well, this, this temple, you know, was replaced and rebuilt by Herod, about 20 BC. So there was, there was that issue, but even before that, in this particular temple, which was of Zerubbabel, uh, that was the time when the, uh, the first abomination of desolation was taking place with Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the, you know, the, uh, the Greek Syrian that went in and, and uh, polluted the temple. And of course, that's from which we got the, uh, the Feast of Hanukkah and the dedication, uh, the rededication of the temple. And so there, there was that happening, uh, happening uh, a few, couple of, almost a couple of hundred years before the birth of Christ on this earth. Then of course, there's the Herod temple, Herod's temple and, and, and the time of Jesus. Well, during that time, if you remember, I've mentioned about 200 years before the birth of Christ on this earth, the Pharisees, the, the sect of the Pharisees began. And, and it began with this conti continuous thought that they wanted to keep the things of God holy. And, and it started well. But then it turned into, again, a, a very uh, 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 fleshly kind of thing. Uh, 
that Jesus had to say, you know, you, uh, you hypocrites, he would call them hypocrites. Uh, it would change over those, those many years. But the restrictions lasted. The restrictions of taking any kind of, of um, uh, Gentile, as it were, into the temple uh, lasted. And we know that from, a, from an example that I gave you not too many weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago actually, when we were talking about the alternate, temp, the, the alternate location for the temple in, in the city of David. And we, we used a, a scripture from the book of Acts, chapter 21. And, and this is the same one I want to show you because it, it says in verses 29, uh, 27 through 29, and here the application for us now comes down to this. It says, and when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, speaking of Paul, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place. And further brought Greeks or Gentiles also into the temple and has polluted this holy place. And notice verse 29, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed, you see, they didn't know, they didn't know for fact that he took him in. They were just supposing that Paul had brought him into the temple. So the restriction was, was lasting even as long as, as, as uh, the time, uh, to the time of the Apostle Paul. That restriction of keeping the Gentiles out of the temple proper. So the thought of this section then, here in Ezekiel 44, is about being sensitive to the things of God. Being sensitive to the things of God. As you stay in the word of God, and I want to emphasize that part. As long as you stay in the word of God, reading, studying, praying, learning, growing, letting it become, you know, a part of your life. But as you stay in the word of God, the spirit of God brings conviction and softens and strengthens. And he saturates our hearts. He'll saturate your heart with his wisdom, with his grace, with his understanding about how to be discerning and sensitive to the things that belong to God, the things that we need to care for properly and rightly. Consider, if you will, Paul's words in Romans 8, verses 5 through 9, when he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Those who have a mindset of the flesh just mind those things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, they that seek after the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Are the things of the flesh distinct from the things of the Spirit? Obviously they are. Or Paul wouldn't say what he says here. And he wouldn't say that there are those who are after the flesh and minding the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So does that mean that everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ needs to be after the Spirit? Yes! It can't, it can't be both ways. Consider, if you will, what he goes on to say. He says in verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death. I think that's a pretty clear statement. To be carnally minded is death. 
You want to be after the things of the flesh? Eventually, you're going to die from the standpoint of not being alive in the Spirit of God. He says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's a pretty grave distinction, isn't it? I would say so. It goes on and says in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity. What is enmity? It is hostility against God. So there, there are people in churches today that have this mentality. And I mean a mentality. They're mental about it. You can, be, you, can be a, you can be a Christian and you can enjoy yourself in the, in the things of the world. Now that, that just doesn't show discernment, does it? Because when they say that they want to enjoy the things of the world, it's the things that the world enjoys. The more, I, the more we grow as believers in Jesus Christ, the more we see that the things that the world wants, the, the things that the world is going after in the world are just a polar opposite of what God wants us to love and appreciate and to, and to enjoy in this life. And it's not about keeping you from eating. You know, Everybody needs to eat. We thank God for what he gives us here. This is going way beyond those things. Uh, and I'm just telling you what Paul is saying here because the carnal mind, he says, is enmity against God. It is hostility against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind isn't subject to the law of God. It doesn't put itself under the law of God. Remember what I said earlier about the law of God. It's, it, 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 it never goes away. It's, it's eternal. Read Psalm 19 when you have a chance tonight. Read about the, the word of God, the law of God. Verse 8 says, so then, they are, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow. I'm getting ready to do a, a conference in Arizona, a prophecy conference. And one of the passages I'm dealing with is, is uh, Hebrews chapter 11 about the the better country, the thing that all the patriarchs and everyone, you know, who was, was given in the inheritance of a land, they looked beyond the land and, and, and realized there was a better country. There's a, a city with, that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Uh, but in there, you know, uh, you, you have to come to, the, to grips with this statement that is said in, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says, for it is impossible to please God without faith. For, why that, for without faith it is impossible to please God. You must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then Paul says here that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And one other thing that, that is said about that is that, that, that whatever is not of faith is sin. And then he goes on in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So he's reminding the believer, listen, 
I know you struggle with this thing. Read chapter 6 and 7 of Romans. Well, I'm giving you a lot of homework tonight. There's a lot of good reading, but, you know, read chapter 6 and 7 right before chapter 8 because what it tells us is that even Paul himself has this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the spirit and the flesh. It's a constant battle. Read in the book of Galatians. He talks about it there. He says, but, he says, so then they're, they're in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Well, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. All right, so I think, I think Paul has made this whole issue pretty clear. I didn't have to go into any great detail of interpretation. It was just pretty clear. So that's what we need to understand about this section that we just read in, in Ezekiel. It's about just being sensitive, discerning, if, if I can use that more biblical term, discerning of the things of God. Well, how are we going to know the things of God unless we are in the Word of God that tells us all about the things of God? Because that's where it is. Here is a treasure from Genesis to Revelation, a treasure that should never be taken for granted, never be taken lightly, and never be taken out of your life. We want to come now to the duties of the Levites in verses 10 through 14, actually down through verse, well, it goes on from here, but we're only going to cover a certain part of this. But in verses 10 through 14, notice as it goes on, as the Lord goes on in telling Ezekiel, and the Levites that are gone away far from me, when Israel went astray, which went astray away from me after their idols, they shall even bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. Now, now you got to pay close attention to what God is saying. First of all, he says, The Levites that are gone away from me when Israel went astray, which went astray away from me after their idols. So even certain Levites who were supposed to be the representatives between God and man and man and God, the, the priestly tribe, as it were, there were those that went astray. He says, they shall even bear their iniquity. They're going to bear their iniquity. But he goes on and says, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charge at the gates of the house and ministering to the house. So he's speaking presently to those who have come out of captivity, but he's also pointing to the Messianic temple. So you're having to understand you know, how he's... Uh, you know, how he's deciphering this, you know, between the people and what he's saying is their hope in the future. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charges at the gate of the house and ministering to the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice. Notice, if you underline anything, underline for the people. For the people. And they shall stand before them to minister to them. Why is that significant? You'll see in just a moment. Verse 12. Because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. 
And by the way, when you fall into iniquity, what are you falling into? Iniquity is that old King James word for lawlessness. They fell into lawlessness. So it says, Therefore have I lifted up my hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity. They're going to be punished for their iniquity. And they shall not come near unto me. What did God say they were going to be doing? Ministering to the people and for the people, right? Then he says here, they're not going to come near me to do the office of a priest unto me, nor to come near to any of my holy things in the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. But I will make, I will make them keepers of the charge of the house for all the service thereof and for all that shall be done therein. So now to kind of understand this, there are the restrictions or these are the restrictions that will govern the Levite's role in the temple as he is looking to what? To the Messianic temple. But you might have to also consider the temple in Jerusalem before any temple. For many generations, the Levites have been guilty of forsaking God and worshiping idols. That's something that we learned about when? Early on in the book of Ezekiel. In particular, I guess you can go back to chapter 10, I think. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. For many generations, the Levites have been guilty of forsaking God and worshiping idols, but because of those horrible sins, their service in the new temple will be severely limited. In Leviticus 21 and 22, you don't, uh, well, you want to go to Leviticus, Leviticus 21. By the way, Leviticus has the word Levi in it, so we know that this is instructions to the Levites. But in Leviticus 21 and 22, the Lord had given the Levites some very significant charges. They were to be completely holy and set apart to him. Completely holy. And I want you to look at verses 6 through 8 in Leviticus 21. It says, They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God for the, for the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God they do offer. Therefore, they shall be holy. Holy means to be set apart, sanctified, set apart from the world, set apart unto God. They shall not take a wife that is a whore or profane, neither shall they take a woman put away from her husband, for he is holy unto his God. Thou shalt sanctify him therefore, for he offereth the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee, I, for I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. So he says, the priests who will serve me have to be holy because I'm holy. So that, that carries with it a tremendous responsibility, doesn't it? For the priest to be holy, to be set apart, to be careful, to watch, to be vigilant. The Levites were to be completely dedicated to God's service, to be completely healthy and without, without defect, serving as a symbol of the perfect high priest who we know is Yeshua. They were to be respectful of the ministry and the sacred offerings. You know, sometimes it brings to mind 
how unrespectful, how disrespectful some people are of the ministry, and even ministers. We become like the world in some cases, like those who write such terrible things on the internet and Facebook and in any kind of social media today, as if everybody's a, an expert in, a, uh, in, in, in some uh, spiritual level of, of being. But it's all disrespect. They don't consider the heart of the person who has to go before God for them. And these priests were supposed to be respectful of the ministry, the sacred offerings, never profaning or shaming God's name or the ministry. They were to protect the fellowship meals of God, which were symbolic of Christ. Did they do that in the time of, of Eliashiv in, 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 in Nehemiah? We, we already saw that he didn't. He let, him, he let, he let uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, come in. And it desecrated the, the fellowship meals of God, which were symbolic of Christ, by the way, the perfect holy sacrifice. And they were to approach God exactly as he said, presenting him an unblemished sacrifice. An unblemished sacrifice. And this is what's so, what's so significant about the rebuke of the Levites because they had caused Israel to sin and led them into idolatry when they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. They would pay the price for their actions. God is saying that. They would have to bear the burden for what they did and how they led the people. The Lord is telling them that in the kingdom age, they would still offer sacrifices unto the Lord and minister before the people, but they won't come near the Lord to serve him. They would serve the people. You would ask, well, how can that be punishment? Let's read on. Let's read on to verses 15 and 16 of of Ezekiel 44. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me. Now remember, we've already mentioned Zadok before. And it's going to be those of the line of Zadok that will be those who will serve and minister before God in the temple. So he says, the priests and the Levites, uh, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to minister to me, or come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. They shall enter into my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me, and they shall keep my charge. Now, again, let me remind you that Zadok was the high priest in the very first temple during Solomon's reign. 
First Kings 1, verses 32 through 35 says, And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. By the way, where's Gihon? It's not anywhere near the, the Temple Mount. It's, it's down in the city of David. Okay. Just reminding you. Verse 34. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel. Where's he anointed? City of David. Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel, and blow ye the trumpet, the shofar. And say, God, save King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. So what we know is that Zadok was a faithful servant as were his descendants. It's always nice to know that there's a tribe or a people or a group of people that are really faithful to the Lord and remain faithful. What does that tell you? That tells me that if we trust in the Lord, that can be done. In other words, we as believers in Jesus Christ can finish our walk with God well, as long as we're trusting in the Lord day by day, moment by moment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we see too often, I mean, we see the people that are living their Christian life like what? Oh, like a roller coaster, you know, oh, up and up. You know, and, they go, and the higher you go, guess what? The fall is even deeper, you know, that kind of thing. And then they come up to this level. They're gonna, and then you don't see them anymore. And then you see them. And then you're just gonna, you know, it's that kind of thing. And this is no new dance, okay? I'm not giving you any idea that I'm into that. But anyway, so isn't it wonderful to know that there's a line that, that is faithful, even to the point that the, that the Lord himself, the Messiah, would say, hey, you're going to be my priest to minister to me. So even when the rest of the Levites went astray, Zadok and his descendants didn't. And now in the kingdom, of, in the kingdom age, they're going to be rewarded for their service and their faithfulness. This certainly shows how gracious and merciful the Lord is. And listen carefully. For the priest to stand before the people and serve them. And that to be considered, and that to be considered a punishment when their actions in the past should have caused them to be put to death, once again shows the grace, the compassion, and the mercy of the Lord. So yes, you're not going to serve near me, but you're going to serve. And you serve the people. And that is really compassion because they could have been wiped out. Honestly, wiped out. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, consider it this way. Listen carefully, and, 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 and then let me finish what I'm saying. <laughs> the Lord wants us to minister to him more 
than he wants us to minister to the people. Now stop and just meditate upon that for about 65 minutes. Are you ready? Are you, are you meditating? Can I say it again? The Lord wants us to minister to him more than he wants us to minister to the people. Now, some people would be shocked to hear that. But it's very true. Sadly, there are those people who think that by the works that they do for others, that that's going to be their ticket into heaven. And that's not the case, of course, right? I mean, we know that. That's not, that's not how we are saved. Our works don't save us, so we know that. But I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, 15. I know I've quoted this before and, and in our study of Ezekiel, and, and it's, it's worth noting it again. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. What does that mean? That we are to worship and serve the Lord continually. That is our sacrifice. Our sacrifice of praise is to the Lord continually. We are to worship and serve the Lord more than anyone else. But then he says, the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. That's ministering unto the Lord. Glory, honor, praise, thanksgiving, adoration, worship. That's our service unto the Lord. I know this isn't in our notes here, but with Romans 12, I, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. I mean, I'm, most of you know it, but, but it's, it's a part of, of, of really where we're going here. And that's Romans 12, beginning at verse 1, where, where it says, I was so excited I went past Romans. Here, okay, here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, verse 1, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. What is he leading to? He's leading to us as a sacrifice of worship unto God. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, ah, just like the priests, holy, set apart, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. That is just reasonable to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy unto God, acceptable unto God. And if you can get the full understanding, it is with, which is your reasonable service of worship, worship of God. The most important part of any ministry begins and ends with being at the feet of our Lord and worshiping Him. The most important part of any ministry begins and ends with being at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and worshiping Him. And that happens if you go on, if you're still in Romans, verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed formed with the world, in other words, but be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is worship unto the Lord. We're changed, not conformed to the world, as he, as he said back in chapter 8, where he talks about the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, come to mind when we think about this issue. Because Martha was always busy working to serve others. And remember the, this weekend, Rich Freeman says, you know, we, sometimes we give Martha a bad rap because she truly believed in Jesus. She truly believed in the resurrection of the dead. But she was one who was busy working all the time to serve others. And that was good. It's all right. While Mary desired and determined to sit at the feet of Jesus, and Martha kept saying, man, that lazy Mary, I want to get her, pull her up by her hair and bring her back into the kitchen and get me some help here. And while Martha was not very happy with her sister doing this and apparently not wanting to help her, it was Jesus that said to Martha, she, he said this, Luke 10, verses 41 and 42, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art anxious or careful. Thou art careful and, and, and troubled. That means that you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. Martha, if you need one thing, this is what you need. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. She has sat at my feet and worshiped me. There are two words that we should learn. Two words, one in Hebrew, and one in Greek. The Hebrew word is shacha. Can you say that? Shacha. Shacha. It's the Hebrew word for worship. It means to bow down, to bow down to, to pay homage to. And then I'll leave it up there and make sure you write it down and, and practice it on your way home. Shaha, shaha, Don't forget that. But be careful what comes out, you know. Shaha. Then the, the Greek word's a little easier to pronounce. Proskuneo. Proskuneo. Can you say proskuneo? This is not Sesame Street, I'm just... Check it to see if you can say it. Can you say proskuneo? Proskuneo. It's Greek for worship. It means to turn toward. It means to kiss toward. That's worship, to kiss toward God. And this is what the Lord desires from his people. He's looking for that kind of relationship and fellowship with us. To the woman at the well, Jesus said in John 4, 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. To worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, in truth knowing that our God is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. We can't see him right now, 
but we know he's here. But we worship him in truth. We worship him in believing every word that he has given us. Believing everything that he has said about himself. Believing everything that he has said he is going to do for those who diligently seek him. Because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In effect, if we're doing this, we're also serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. No one really spends too much time at the feet of Jesus that doesn't also see the need that Jesus sees. If we're doing this, we're serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're serving those who need Christ Jesus as well. Because what happens in, in that great fellowship and communion that we have with God, if we're really listening, he leads us, he guides us, he equips us, he, he, he fully equips us so that when the opportunity arises, we don't, have to, we don't have to sit back and say, I wonder if this is an opportunity to share Christ. We just do, we just do. because our spirits are alive in Christ. And we're ready and able to do the things that God has taught us through his word, spirit, and in truth. We worship him in those things, and he's equipping us. So let me just say this again. I want to give you the full picture. We're, we're serving our brothers, if we're doing this, if we're worshiping the Lord, we're serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're serving those who need Christ as well, because when we worship the Lord in this manner, we don't have time, nor the reason to criticize our brothers and sisters to others. We don't have time to attack others. Because we've learned that we're to love one another, to be honest with one another, and speak directly. If, there's, if someone has a fault, you know, that has is, that is hurt you, you go to that brother, rather than complain to everybody else. In fact, our love for them should grow. And we become more desirous of serving their needs. We won't have time to neglect the lost because in our worship of our Lord and King, we would only want to shine, we would only want to shine more brightly to the world since that light is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said. Well, how do we get that light to shine? But that we spend time in the light, with the light, and for the light. 
In Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40, you remember this. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, there were some Pharisees, scribes, came to Jesus. One of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. Now he was testing the Lord. And he said to Jesus, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, do you, think, do you think that Jesus knew when he said master that he really wasn't his master? Because he's tempting him, he's testing him. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Folks, that's godly, divine wisdom. That's telling you that the two tablets that were brought down by Moses from Sinai to the people. The one tablet that tells us how we are to approach God, how we are to know God. You shall love the Lord your God. And the second tablet, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And then Jesus said, and I know I said this earlier, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And so the descendants of Zadok will be the ones appointed to serve within the temple as the ministers of God himself. And this means that they will be near Christ. They will be in his very presence, serving and working around him. They will have the high privilege of leading the people in worship of their Lord and Messiah. But let me also say, if you're really concerned about the Levites that are serving the people, they're serving under God's grace. They will have access. In a thousand years, they will be near the Lord, nearer than if they had been wiped out for what they had done. So don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. The priests of Zadok will also have the privilege of offering sacrifices on the altar as the Messiah's death is observed and remembered. And remember that that's why there is a temple that is going to offer sacrifices for a thousand years to, re, to keep people reminded of what Jesus came to do. Lastly, they alone will be allowed to enter into the inner sanctuary and to come near the Lord's table. That's in verse 16, if you remember. We're not told what table, but it could be the table that will hold the showbread, the 12 loaves of bread that symbolized the people's dependency upon God for their daily bread, both physical bread for their bodies and spiritual bread for their souls, which, by the way, will close with the words of Jesus who said in John 6, 35, 
I am the bread of life. That table will be one that provides bread forever. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I, you know, I thought about that, that last phrase there because a lot of times we, you know, we say, well, you know, he, he, that bread has to be so wonderful that you neither hunger nor you thirst. Now, I don't know about you, but I've eaten bread. The first thing I need to do is get a drink of something. Got to wash that bread down, right? That's, that's earthly bread, you know. Can't eat a sandwich without, you know, a glass of milk or something, or water. But Jesus said, hey, I'm the bread of life. You eat, you'll never, you'll never hunger. And you'll never thirst. Because he is that living water. Gives us the Holy Spirit that's living water. Refreshing us through all of our life.